Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you are going to want to check them out. You can also follow me and find me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Yes, and you can become a patron of the show today if you'd like to support the show even more. Go ahead, head on over to patreon.com slash speakadogcast and become a patron of the show today. Now, if the visual thing is more your thing, you can also find me on YouTube at Speak a Dogcast. Uh, this week, we won't have the episode visually up. We'll put the audio up, uh, but we're actually not doing the video just this week. We'll be back next week with the video on YouTube as well. And if you guys love what you're hearing, do me a favor, click that five-star rating, leave me a review. If you love what you're hearing, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, on today's show, why size doesn't matter most of the time. <laughs> yes, we're talking about dogs. Yeah, dog size. Why size of a dog maybe doesn't necessarily matter when it comes to behavior and training. We're going to dive into that. Then comes getting bored. Ed. Yes, we're talking about getting boarded, boarding your dogs, what to look for in a facility. I'm going on vacation myself. So, uh, you know, I've have to, I got to put my dog somewhere, right? So we talk about what I even look for personally. And I think what you guys should look for in a quality facility to leave your dog at. Then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101 and the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, you can keep sending them my way. You can either email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, how many stomachs does a cow have? Yes, how many stomachs does a cow have? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around. Sit. Stay and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, why size doesn't matter. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah, no, we're talking about dogs today. Come on, get your minds out of the gutter. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> we're talking about dogs and why size doesn't matter most of the time when it comes to dogs, dog training, and behavior. Okay, so look, the first thing we're gonna talk about is the LDS. No, not Latter-day Saints. <laughs> no, little dog syndrome, LDS. We've all heard of a dog like this. You all know somebody who's had a dog like this. It's an overcompensating little dog, whether it be through aggression or, or control mechanisms or possessiveness or whatever the case may be, however they displace it, we get little dogs that are, uh, you know, out of mentally out of balance, they're unbalanced. And so it creates these behavioral problems. And why do we have this? Why, why does LDS, why does little dog syndrome even exist? Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's because of people. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. It's because of people. Here's the amazing thing to me. There is this preconceived notion that little dogs are automatically going to be worse. Little dogs are automatically going to be yappy. Little dogs are automatically going to be more possessive than a big dog. I hear it all the time. And some of you out there are going, well, yeah, 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 yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, probably, yep. And I'm here to tell you that's, that's incorrect. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Dogs are not predisposed to be buttheads. It's just, they're just not. Uh, just like I don't think most children are predisposed to be buttheads, but they are, aren't they? And why 
parenting or lack thereof. And it's the same thing with our little dogs. Lack of dog parenting, lack of dog ownership, proper dog ownership, that creates these behavioral issues, that creates a little dog syndrome, a Napoleon complex, if you will. And it's funny, guys, because here it is, right? When I'm out walking dogs, let's say I've got 10 dogs with me and nine of them are big dogs, or at least not little, right? They're big dogs and I have my chihuahua with me. And we're out walking and you know one of the most frequently heard comments I hear out on the walk when I have my chihuahua and a bunch of big dogs. You know what it is? Oh, the little one's running the show, right? Oh, I bet the little one's the leader of the pack. Is the little one in charge? Oh, I bet the little one's in charge of all of you. I mean, I can go on and on on how many versions of this I've heard over and over and over and over and over. And what's interesting is, do you know the one comment I've never, ever, ever heard? Oh, I bet the big one's leading the pack, isn't he? Oh, I bet the biggest dog is in charge. I bet that big one is, 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 is uh, calling the shots. Never once have I ever heard that comment. But the little dog comment, oh, buddy, left and right, left and right. Every damn time I go out, oh, the chihuahua's in charge. Doesn't that tell you everything right there, guys? As a society as a whole, we have this preconceived notion that little dogs suck. <laughs> Seriously. That's, that's what everybody thinks about little dogs is they suck. And I don't get it. I don't get it. Oh, I do get it, but <laughs> I get it. And I'm going to tell you what I get. Here's what I get. We as a society have failed our little dogs. Yes, we have. Because that tells you everything right. I mean, again, guys, like, think about it for a second. Like, let's do some critical thinking here. Never do I hear that people tell me the big dog is in charge. Every time people tell me the little dog is in charge. And it's wrong, guys. It's wrong. Little dogs are not predetermined to be buttheads. The only reason a little dog is a butthead is because of the owner. Yeah, you heard me right. That is correct. The only reason little dogs act like, quote, little dogs is because we let them. And not only do we let them, we reinforce it and strengthen these behaviors to the point that it becomes a norm in society. That sucks. Like, I feel bad for little dogs, man, because it's not fair and it's not right because they don't have to be that way. People let them be, you know, and it's a bummer. It's a shame. So when we talk about this little dog syndrome, it's really manifested from people. It's manifested from the humans. It's, 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 it's train. We train it. We train the behavior to happen. So the thing is with little dogs and big dogs is... I mean, it's very simple, guys. They're all the same. They're all the same. If you look, if you're a longtime listener, you probably heard me say this. A dog is a dog is a dog is a dog, right? What does that mean? That means dogs are dogs, guys. It doesn't matter if they're five pounds or 80 pounds. Between the ears and behind the eyes, it's the same damn thing. It's a dog. It is a canine. It's a four-legged friend, and they are all mentally the same. We don't treat them that way. And that's why we get different results, isn't it? Because what do we do with little dogs, right? What's, what's always the, well, they're tiny. So I can just scoop them up if there's a problem. Well, well they start yapping at another dog and all I got to do is scoop them up and then it's not an issue. The funny thing is, is it's not an issue for you, but it's still an issue for your dog. And it's potentially an issue for all the other dogs around you that your dog is trying to bark at. 
Because what if you're making those dogs nervous? What I mean, you know, like your dog is nervous, that's for sure. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so again, they're the same damn thing, guys. I, you know, I often say if if people let like an eighty to hundred pet, like let's just say like labs, like Labrador Retriever, everybody knows what a lab is. They know the size. They know what they are. If everybody let their labs act like quote little dogs, what do you think would happen? I mean, number one, there would be a ton of incidents, right? Because <laughs> like, it's a big dog. Um, really, at the end of the day, people wouldn't let it happen. And that's why it doesn't as often. That's why majority of big dogs you see out there are better behaved, maybe not well behaved, but better behaved than your average little dog. Why? Because they have to be. <laughs> as an owner, you don't really have the option to have your 80, 100 pound dog, you don't have the option to let them act like an LDS, a little dog syndrome. You don't get that luxury. <laughs> Can't scoop them up and walk away. I mean, you can, but good luck if that dog's trying to lash out at another dog, you're just gonna scoop up an 80 pound lab and walk away, sure. There's a reason. There is a reason most big dogs are more well-behaved than little dogs. Because we just, we couldn't let them act like that. It would be horrible. <laughs> We'd have people getting bit. We'd have dogs getting bit. We'd have, I mean, it would be a wreck. It'd be a wreck, you know? Um, you know, look, a couple weeks ago, I had a question from somebody where they, uh, this is uh, quite a few weeks ago now. It was something to the effect of that, I don't remember, I think it was their mother or mother-in-law has a chihuahua. And the chihuahua gets very possessive over anybody, over the mother or the mother-in-law, whoever it is. She gets The dog got possessive over one person. And the owner thought it's adorable and thinks it's great because the dog loves her and wants to protect her. Uh, no. No, guys. It's not okay. Again, what if that was an 80-pound dog? Could you imagine? Could you imagine? This woman would never be able to have anybody over in her home because it'd be too dangerous. But because the dog's a chihuahua. And if I remember correctly, the dog had bitten people too. But it's fine because it's a little dog, right? Look at what happens with a little dog. Someone gets bit and nobody gets, no, no, nothing gets reported. There's no, nothing, no, we're not calling the police. Isn't that incredible? But think about it, guys. Think about it. That five pound chihuahua biting someone mentally is no different than an 85-pound dog biting someone. I don't know why we treat it different. Oh, because you can lift them up, David, because they don't cause harm. Who cares? What about the anxiety that poor dog is experiencing? What about the anxiety uh, people walking into that person's home are experiencing? What about the anxiety that dog creates anytime they go out of the house and they start barking and lashing out at everybody and everything? Why do people want their dogs to be anxious? I don't get it, but little dogs, it's like, it's like, it's this accepted thing. It's just whatever. Hell, I saw a video the other day on Instagram. Some of you probably saw this. It's circulating around. Um, there's a guy on a motorcycle and he's got his chihuahua in a backpack, right? One of those clear doggy backpacks. And he's at a stoplight and this chihuahua is just gah, 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 lashing out at everybody to the point that it's even grabbing its blanket that's in the backpack and grabbing it and thrashing it. Dog is anxious as hell. Clearly, first of all, guys, I'm sorry. For the most part, a dog does not belong on a motorcycle. Honestly, I don't really know. Personally, I would never put any of my dogs on a motorcycle. I don't care. It's not worth it. You could easily kill them in a heartbeat. David, a dog could die in a car too. Yeah, but he's more likely to survive a car by a thousand times over than a motorcycle, guys. So first of all, a dog on a motorcycle, come on. People, what the hell? Like, don't, 
Why? Well, because he's my buddy. No, get a freaking car then, you know? Like, what? Oh, it's worth my, it's worth killing my dog over. Yeah, sure, you know. <laughs> ah, Jesus. Okay, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is this dog is anxious as all hell. Like, you couldn't believe how anxious this dog was if you haven't seen this video. And I will say it gave me, oh, it gave me so much hope because I like to find these, I don't know, like to find them, but I come across them. And I like to read the comments. I do. I like to sometimes scroll through the comments and see what's being said about some of this stuff. And it gave me hope because I would say a good 90 to 95% of the comments were, dude, you're an idiot. Like, what the hell are you doing? You're doing, getting, taking this video for likes? Like, what... Your dog is clearly anxious. Your dog is clearly uncomfortable. Your dog is clearly not enjoying that motorcycle ride. I would never put my dog on a motorcycle. That's what I was seeing other comments. This guy's a crazy. This is abuse. This is an abuse. That's an argument for a different day. Because um, I think there's people who abuse their dogs left and right that just because they're not treating their dogs like dogs. That, that's one way. But we're, no, let's not go down that road point is it gave me hope <laughs> it gave me hope i'm like oh thank god there's other people out there who who see reason who see logic who get that this is not okay you know but it just proves the point even further doesn't it you can just throw the little dog in a backpack who gives a crap if he's lashing out at everything right like oh jeez jeez <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. That, yeah, that, that video, it kind of, it made me a little upset. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it, it, it made me upset. Like it doesn't make me upset. I'm not like, Oh, keyboard warrior. You know, what can you do? It's a video guys. Um, I don't know who that person is. I bet you the person taking the video of the dog on the motorcycle doesn't even know who the guy on the motorcycle is. So who are you going to get mad at? Is it really worth your time and energy? No, it's not. Um, better uses of time and energy in this world. So anyway, getting back to it, <laughs> Size doesn't have to matter, guys. It doesn't. Now, I do understand like dog parks and, and doggy day camp and boarding facilities. They will separate dogs into big dog groups and little dog groups. And I totally understand that. I will say in my home, we don't do that. Never have. Never have. In all the years I've been training and boarding and all that, we don't separate dogs into little dogs and little dog groups and big dog groups. Now, to be fair, I don't get a ton of toy breeds in here. Not a ton, right? So... Uh, you know, but I have a Chihuahua. She's seven pounds. She's not large, right? She's seven pounds. And she's been hanging around the big dogs for eight years now we've had her. Eight years, guys. I used to have a half lab, half Great Dane. Uh, I used to have my big boy, Colby, big golden. And they did just fine, guys. We had doggy day camp dogs come in and out all day. Uh, boarding dogs, training dogs, in and out, in and out, in and out. Big dog, small dog, everything. And Coco's fine. She's still here. She's still in one piece. Last time I checked, no, I'm kidding, uh, <laughs> right? So it can be done, but here's the going back. Here's the thing. I understand why dog parks and why boarding facilities and why there's a reason they do separate them because here's the thing. If you want your little dog and big dog to get along, if you want little dogs and big dogs to get along and know how to be around each other, that's just it. They have to know how to be around each other. If you have a big dog who's never been around a little dog in his entire life, he's only played with big dogs. He may literally not know what to do in a roundabout way with a little dog. You know what I'm saying? So they do have to be taught. And that's what we do when they come into my house. Now, most of these boarding places, most of them, they don't do training. It's not their focus. It's not what they do. They're there to get the dog's energy out, socialize, have a good time, and go home safely. Right? And the best way to ensure that is to be to separate the groups. I get it. 
I get it. Um, and it makes sense. It really does. I, I totally understand it. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing. It doesn't have to be what well, little dogs and big dogs can interact. I've literally heard people who think this and it's just, it's just not true. The proof is in my home. We've done it for years. Okay. But you have to be aware. You have to be on top of it. You have to take an active training role in teaching your dogs to get along, teaching your dogs to be aware of their surroundings so they don't just step on a little dog, right? Uh, even Mr. 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 Captain Nemo, there you go. Uh, even Captain Nemo, Nemo, my blue tick, um, he's a lot better than he was. He had zero, and I'm talking zero, <laughs> awareness, uh, uh, spatial awareness when we first got him, and he has come a long way. He's a lot more aware of Coco now, and that takes some time, and it takes training, right? Um, so... It is something that has to be taught to some dogs, right? They don't just inherently know, oh, you're little, it's cool. Uh, some dogs do, but most dogs don't have enough experience, most big dogs rather, don't get enough experience with little dogs, and so therefore, they don't know what to do with them. And that's why we all think, oh, they can't get along, they can't be around each other. Well, they can, but just like anything in life, it has to be taught, right? Um, now, if you brought two dogs up from a small age, from a young age, a small dog and a big dog, or, you know, if you brought a little dog, or excuse me, if you bring a big dog into a little dog's house and you raise them together, it's going to be fine most likely, right? Because you're doing that training. You're taking that, that that's the training right there, right? They learn. Um, but anyway, all right. So getting back to it, in a nutshell, guys, size really doesn't matter. There is, you know, like we'll talk about the fact that let's say some people go, oh, my dog is, my little dog is scared of big dogs. Most likely what happened is that is a conditioned behavior because of some experience that happened. It's not to say that your dog is scared of big dogs. It's that it's a conditioned response from some uh, interaction that happened. You know what I mean? So it's not like this inherent, oh, my dog is immediately scared of big dogs. Well, your dog is six years old. You're telling me your little chihuahua is six years old and it's never been around another big dog before. And then the first big dog you introduce it to is this hundred pound dog and it well, yeah, it might be a little taken back by that if it doesn't know what to do with it because it's never seen it. Um, you know, like, got news for you. If I'm in the ocean and I've never, knock on wood, never seen a shark come up to me, but if I did, it's going to, whoa, me a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so something new like that is going to spook you a little. It's not to say the dog is immediately scared of the big dog and they can't get along, though. You know what I mean? Because I, I hear that a lot where people go, oh, my dog's scared of big dogs, scared of little dogs, or whatever, blah, 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 blah. It's a conditioned response that we can change. It's not this inherent, it's not this, this genetic thing that, that, that my dog can never get along with a big dog because he's little. Yep, never gonna happen. No, no, that's not, that's just not true, guys. It's just not. So when we do have a dog who's, quote, fearful of big dogs or something like that, it's a conditioned response that we can recondition, that we can change, right? That we can train. Imagine that, training. It's almost like, you can change dogs' behavior with it. It's weird, you know? Uh, <laughs> so this is one of those things where I go, look, size does matter in the sense that I don't want a giant dog who's never been around a little dog to hurt a little dog, right? That's where the size does matter. Let's be smart here. Um, but at the same time, a dog is a dog is a dog is a dog. Mentally, they're the same thing. And instinctually, they're the same thing. And they know it. They, they know what they are, right? So to sit here and say that, well, no, no, dogs can't. We can't have big dogs and little dogs. It's just not true. It's just not true, guys. You have to do it safely. You have to do it in a way that you've taught all the dogs how to be comfortable with it. But it can be done. So remember, guys, size doesn't matter most of the time. 
your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, getting bored. Ed. Yes, getting boarded. Boarding your dog, taking your dog to get boarded. <laughs> wow, it's a fun thing, isn't it? No, not always. <laughs> it's, no, what I mean is it can be a task to research the proper place to take your dog for boarding. Now, I myself, I am going to be leaving for vacation here very soon, and I am super pumped. I uh, can't even begin to explain it. <laughs> and we're going to be gone for a little while. And, you know, we've got four freaking dogs, guys. And so having a nice place for your pets to stay, and my cat, um, can be a difficult thing. It can be. It can be a difficult thing to find somewhere for your dog because your dog is your family. It's one of your loved ones, you know? and you want the best care possible for them. So this is a tough thing, in my opinion. It is Some people, you know, I drop the dog off at the boarding place, ah, whatever. For me, it's tough. Um, part of it is, I'll be honest, I know too much. <laughs> I know too much, I've seen too much, and for that, me personally, it makes it very, very hard for me to leave my dogs just anywhere. It does, it does, I'm just being honest. Um, in a way, I feel bad for the people that have my dogs because, Hey, you got high expectations. <laughs> no. Um, well, yes. But look, <laughs> I can be a pain in the butt when it comes to my dogs. I mean, I'm just, that's the truth. Look, my wife and I, we don't have kids. Our dogs are our family. They're not kids, but they're the closest thing uh, we have to it. They're our family. We love them to death and and beyond. I mean, they're just, they're everything to us. But um it's also the fact that my dogs are professional, you know, they're part of my professional life. They are a part of my business. Um, it's a very important part of my business too. You know, when I bring dogs in for training and we do rehabilitation and I do in-home training, my dogs play a very, very important role uh, in that training process. And so it's not just a family member. That's the most important part, but it's also this this business side of it too, or I, I, it's important on both ends, more important on the personal, but it's very important on both sides. And so when I give my dogs to someone, um, there has to be a lot of trust. There has to be a lot of trust and um, you have to know what to look for. Okay. And so this is what we're going to talk a little about today because I, myself, like I said, I, I'm very particular and <laughs> like trying to trying to hold back, I think is the problem right now. I'm trying, <laughs> trying not to be too hypercritical. Um, but look, back when I lived in Orlando, um, I had quite a few other animal colleagues that I knew, and it was really not much of a problem 
to find somebody to watch our dogs. It really wasn't for the most part. We, we had a handful of people we could trust that I knew that would come to my house, stay with the dogs. It was really nice. You know, it was really nice to have that. Um, since we moved down here, I don't have that anymore. I don't. I don't have that luxury of having just a, a handful of really good people that I can trust, animal people that I know that I've known for years. Um, you know, we've only been down here for five years. And what, half of that was COVID essentially. <laughs> so yeah, we really weren't out and about much um, the first couple years here. So we're still spreading the wings and, and getting to know the area, to be honest, and, and getting to know people. And so it's a little tough. Um, you know, we do have some family members watching watching some of the dogs, which is amazing. And I love that I have somebody personal that I know that I can trust. Uh, but some of our dogs, some of the animals had to go to a facility. And it's it's it was a it was a tough thing for me to to, <laughs> to let go. I'm just being honest. Tough thing. And so we had to look for very particular things. And of course, guys, there's a list, you know, there's, there's really a checklist I think is good for everybody to have when you go to a boarding facility and what to look for. Okay. So enough rambling. <laughs> Let's get on with it. Um, like the first and foremost, the very first thing, you, you, number one, like this is just, if this one does not get met, if this first part of the criteria is not met, run for the hills. <laughs> Don't take your dog there. The biggest one is the tour. Yeah, the tour. Will they give you a tour of the facility? Will they let you see where the dogs are going to play, where the dogs are going to stay? Um, that's the biggest thing. I have heard some people tell me that, yeah, this place doesn't want to give me a tour. I'm like, oh, don't go there. Uh, you definitely don't want to be going there. You know, I just that, to me, that just says you're hiding something, right? You're hiding something if you don't want to give a tour of the facility where the dogs are going to stay. Not to mention, why the hell wouldn't you want to show an owner where their dog is going to be staying? I mean, come on, you know? In this day and age, too, with cell phones and pictures and everything, they're going to send you updates, hopefully. Like, you should be able to see, at least to some degree, I don't need to see into everybody's personal, you know, if it's out of a home, I don't need to see every square inch of your house or anything like that. Um, but I do need to see something, right? And so that's the thing, is if a facility doesn't really want to give you a tour, or for that matter, if it's, let's let's say it is a true dog boarding commercial facility. If they won't show you literally anywhere you want to go in that place, that's a red flag. Okay. Again, if it's out of somebody's home, that's a different story. But if we're talking about a commercial facility and they don't want to show you the whole kit and caboodle, that's eh, a red flag for me. It is. It's a red flag for me. So first and foremost, guys, that tour is so important. One of the second things on the checklist is, does this place ask for a temperament test? Do they want your dog to come in and do a test to see how your dog's temperament is, how they're going to be in the facility if they get along with other dogs. That's an important one because, again, most facilities do not have a professional training staff. They just don't. That's just that's that's the reality. So if they're at least willing to do their due diligence and make sure the dogs coming in are going to be okay, are well-behaved, or whatever their criteria is, I like that. I want to see a facility that's aware of the dogs they're bringing in. And personally, I love a facility that turns dogs away. You heard me right. I do. I like facilities that aren't just, yeah, any dog is more, any dog is welcome anytime. Ah, yeah, it doesn't even matter. We don't have to meet them. Just bring them in. Eh, no, not the right answer. Um, I like a facility that goes, well, this dog didn't pass the temperament test, so they can't stay here. I'm okay with that. I get it because they're trying to create a safe environment for everybody. And that's one of the best ways to do it is to be just a little picky on what dogs are coming into your facility. Now, I also get it, guys, because like for myself, when I board dogs, um, 
I most of the time do not board dogs that I have not worked with. You heard me right. And I can hear people go, David, that's, that's, that's mean. Is it? I'm an animal behavior specialist, guys. I train. That's what my job is. I train. And so boarding is sort of a perk uh, for my clients, if you will. And what I mean by this is if I have a dog who's completely ill-behaved and doesn't know how to walk a leash, doesn't know how to do anything, doesn't, I mean, just, you know, is completely untrained and you want me to board that dog? No, I'm not letting a dog come in my house and act like that. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to train them. And therefore you need to pay for training, right? There's a difference between a boarding fee and a training fee. Obviously there's a lot more work, time, effort that goes in uh, to training a dog versus just boarding a dog, right? So again, this is why a boarding facility will turn dogs away because they can't put in the time and work it's going to take to have to deal with that dog for the exact same price as all the other dogs that are well-behaved and they can manage better. You see what I'm saying? If your dog is unmanageable and all the rest of the dogs they have are manageable, how is that fair to the facility? Anything, they should charge you an upcharge, but you know, turning you away is another option. So I like when a facility is more picky. I'm not going to lie. I think that's a good thing. I think that's healthy because they know what their limits are. And that's awesome. Not not everybody can handle aggressive dogs if you don't know what to do with that. Not to mention, why would you want that in a boarding facility? That could be dangerous. All right. So I like that. All right. That's what I'm going to say about that. All right. So get the tour. Make sure you get a tour. And definitely, I love the temperament tests as well. Another big red flag is if a facility does not ask for proof of vaccinations. Big no-no. If you have a dog facility that is not asking for proof of rabies, proof of distemper, lepto, hell, I know facilities that require the flu vaccine for your dogs. Even though that's not a core vaccine, there are places that require your dog have that in order to be able to come into their facility. I get it. I get it. Once again, these rules are being put in place for the betterment of your dog and everybody else's dog, the safety, the health, and the betterment of everybody's dogs. That's what they're trying to create. And so again, if there's no, you know, a dog that doesn't have rabies, whoa, that's a big problem. State of Florida, that's illegal. Um, You know, but that's the point, guys. Vaccines, your dog needs them and the dogs that come to the facility, because if you don't, there's going to be issues. They're going to get sick and there's going to be problems, okay? So that's another big thing I want to look for is make sure the facility requires your dogs be vaccinated and more importantly, prove that they are vaccinated, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, other kind of more, I mean, I guess you could call it more subtle, if you will. When I walk into a facility and dogs are just barking like crazy and going nuts and maybe doing the spins and, ah, are those dogs being exercised? Are those dogs being stimulated? Doesn't sound like it, does it? So that's something you may not just see on the surface. You're like, oh, barking dogs. It's a boarding facility, David. Yeah, but here's the thing, guys. After touring multiple facilities for for our dogs, um, I'm not gonna not gonna name names, but there is a facility that was toured that uh, we brought our dog to, and immediately he was not okay with it. You could immediately see he just turned very anxious, and it was because of the energy going on in that facility. All the dogs were barking, they're pacing, they're going nuts, and he picks up on it right away. This is Nemo. Nemo picked up on it right away, right? And so when I see a facility where the dogs seem anxious, oof, no, I don't want my dog staying there. That's going to be my dog in three days. You know what I mean? Like, like three days of staying there, he's going to turn into that. Is that, what you, is that what you want for your dog? So when I see dogs that are acting anxious or, or you know, won't sit, st- barking obsessively, it tells me right there, these dogs are not getting outside enough. They're not getting walked enough. They're not getting stimulated enough. 
right? I will say in another facility, uh, walks were sort of a foreign concept. It was sort of like, well, yeah, we don't walk around. Why would you, why would you walk the dogs? <laughs> Blows my mind. Why would you walk the dogs? Woo! I mean, I got to step back a second because that's, this facility does training, <clears throat> if you can believe it. Why would you walk the dogs was the question, guys. I mean, my jaw is kind of on the floor now. Why would you walk the dogs is the question. That was, that was the response. Why would, why would we walk the dogs? I don't know. Because they're dogs? <laughs> because they're pack animals? Because it's instinctually in their nature to go for a walk daily? The most basic way you can fulfill your dog is a walk? Oh my God. All right. I know soapbox. Um, this is why, like I said, I told you I'm picky. I'm picky. I should be because I want the best for my dogs and you should too. Right now. There are other ways to stimulate dogs and give them exercise without a walk. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the same. Why can't we do all that other stuff and the walk? That's what we do here. I just don't get it. Especially when you have a full staff, like, <clears throat> Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I would prefer a facility that walks the dogs, but I'll be honest, guys, you're probably going to find that most don't. And that's a bummer, isn't it? That's a shame. And what does that tell you? Our perspective of dogs is skewed. That's a, that's a topic for a different day. And we've talked about that before too, but we're going to talk about that again somewhat soon here. Um, so I want to see exercise. I want to see stimulation. I want to see playtime. I want to see swim time. Maybe they do agility. Maybe they do what a group play. Uh, you got to look for those things. And so if I walk in a facility and they, and they tell me they exercise the dogs, but the dogs are telling me they don't, what does that tell you? It tells you your dog shouldn't go there. <laughs> okay. So you got to look at these things and you have to ask questions as well. You need to ask questions. Do not be afraid to go into a boarding facility and drill them. I'm being honest. You know, I've had people do it to me and I get it. I, I They drill me up and down. They look at my, they're in my house. They're looking at everything. They're asking questions. I had one person one time who literally sat here at my home for an hour just grilling me guys like you wouldn't believe and I you know whatever hey man teach his own you, that's what you got to do that's what you got to do um but that's I, I don't have a problem with asking a lot of questions one thing to like <clears throat> it's one thing to drill sergeant somebody down it's another thing to ask questions right <clears throat> so feel free to ask questions guys make sure you do ask questions how often are the dogs out for how long do you keep them out is there water available to them at all times is there water available outside inside it's summertime guys let's think about these things um you know i i don't know if i talked about this on my podcast yet so we're going to touch on it for a moment i did you know what i did i did but we're going to talk about it because it's very relevant a few months back uh, i believe it was in november yeah, last November, there was a facility in my area. This is this is sad, guys. I mean, this is this is serious. I mean, this is why I scrutinize these places. Back in November, there was a facility in our area where one dog uh, passed away in their care, and another dog was in very serious condition. I don't know what happened to that second dog. I, mean, I assume they survived. And uh, there's a police investigation now. And this is actually, this is only about a mile down the road from me, this place. And um, yeah, it's serious stuff, you know? And supposedly when they found the dogs, um, they were not in good shape. They were dehydrated. 
And I mean, this is November. Like, don't get me wrong. We're in Florida and we're in South Florida. It still gets hot, but we're not talking July, August here. We're not talking middle of August where it's, you know, heat index of hundred plus. And at this facility, a dog passed away, guys. It's serious stuff, serious stuff. You know, I can't even comprehend that. I mean, mm. coming home from a vacation to that, can you even, oof. <sighs> anyway, so you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful who you're leaving your dogs with and you have to ask these questions. Do they have water? Where is the water? Can you see the water bowl? It's one thing to ask. Oh yeah, they have water in the yard. Really? I see the yard and there's no water bowls in there. Don't be afraid to ask questions, guys. Okay. Very, very important. Uh, now, another thing, the updates. I'm going to say something about the updates. Look, with cell phones and everything nowadays, people expect updates like all the damn time. And I'll be honest, I don't give updates all the damn time. I don't with my clients. I give them updates, but not every day, guys. Every day is, in my opinion, a little much. Um, look, if some people want that, teach his own, I guess. But what did we do 20 years ago before cell phones, guys? You had to call a facility and ask how my dog's doing. You know what I mean? Like they, they weren't calling you. And everything has changed, hasn't it? It, it really has. It's changed. So like... It, I would love some updates when my dog is boarding. I don't need daily updates. Like I love my, I'm obsessed with my dogs and I'm worried about them when they're not with me. And I still don't expect daily updates. You know what I mean? Like it's a little much, but find a facility that will give you updates. Some facilities have cameras in the public areas that you can even watch now. Um, you know, you can log in and watch your pup there. So, hey, if that's, that's what you're looking for, look for that as well. Um, but really, to me, it kind of comes down to a couple core things on this checklist. The number one thing, of course, is going to be, are they going to give you that tour of the facility? Are they going to hide things from you and not want to show you the whole facility? And if that's the case, boom, red flag, we are not taking our dog there if they won't give us a tour. All right. Very, 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 very important. Does the facility require your dog be vaccinated? Do they require you prove that your dog is vaccinated? Um, things you need to think about. How about, again, we've got to look at the facility, use your gut, ask questions, look around. Is it clean? Does it smell clean? Does everything smell like dog pee? Because uh, it doesn't have to in a facility, guys. Yes, it's going to smell like dog. It is <laughs> dog boarding. Uh, but look around, open your eyes. Is there water everywhere? Do they have access? Ask these questions, right? How often are they out? How long do they stay out? What's the duration? Um, how do you, you know... All, how much time do they spend in their pen? How much time in a kennel? All these different questions are so important and don't be afraid to ask them, okay? Look, leaving your pet, it can be stressful. It's stressing me out, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but that's okay, that's okay. Yeah, we're gonna get through it and it's all good. I'm gonna go on vacation and I'll be fine. Um, but you gotta think about these things and you gotta be smart about who you're leaving your dogs with. Ideally, it'd be great to leave them with a family member, a friend, someone you know uh, and inherently you can trust. At the same time, boarding facilities can be awesome. Gives your dog socialization, playtime, exercise, lots of fun. So. Take all these things into consideration, do your due diligence, and make sure you keep your pet safe when you're boarding them this summer. The answer to today's trivia question, how many stomachs does a cow have? Only one. Yes, a little bit of a trick question, as they do have four distinct compartments within the single stomach, and the compartments are known as the rumen, the reticulum, the omasum, and the abomasum. Next 
Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of animal mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the United States Military Academy at West Point. Now, West Point was founded on March 16, 1802 in West Point, New York. Originally established as a fort, the location was a strategic high point overlooking the Hudson River, 50 miles north of New York City. The Continental Army originally occupied the area of West Point on January 27, 1778, and it is the oldest continuously operating army post in the United States. And the mascot for West Point, well, it's not your average college mascot. Most people might think of something ferocious or predatory when it comes to a military mascot, but that's just not the case here. The mascot for West Point and further extension, the entire United States Army, is the reliable, the strong and hardy mule. <laughs> yes, the Army mules have had a long history with the military, and we have to remember, the Army needs weaponry, food, ammunition, medical supplies, and even more on the battlefield. And for a very long time, the pack mule was an ideal way for the military to move supplies. Now, the tradition of having the mule as the official mascot started in 1899 when an officer at the Philadelphia Quartermaster Depot decided their sports team needed a mascot to rival the Navy's mascot, the goat. <laughs> now, there were not many records kept on the original official mules. In fact, it was not until 1936 that we even have documentation that a former Army pack mule by the name of Mr. Jackson arrived from Fort Royal, Virginia. Now, Mr. Jackson spent 12 years going to football games and even saw two national championships. Now, starting with Mr. Jackson, there have now been 17 mules used as mascots to date. This awesome tradition has evolved into, uh, into an entire mule rider team that cares for all the mules. The mules are given names that reference certain army regiments or traditions. Uh, Ranger III, who was commissioned in 2011, he's one of the newest additions. He is named after the 75th Ranger Regiment, as well as all past and present army rangers. The original ranger was given as a gift to the academy by Steve Townsend, United States Military Academy, class of 1975. The Army Mule mascots are trained by cadet mule riders who are a part of the spirit support activity of the U.S. Corps of Cadets. One mule rider is selected from the fourth class each spring based on expert, uh, expert horsemanship, spirit, and leadership. The mule rider progresses through the class system until he or she is promoted to cadet in charge of mule riders during the cadet's first class year. Usually there are three mule riders, one from each of the upper classes. Yes, this is such a great tradition at West Point, and students take such great pride in upholding it. And anytime I cover anything military related, I want to say a very special thank you to all our military personnel, past and present, who serve our nation. Thank you. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Bill from Houston, Texas. Bill says, my dog barks and demands things from us. It might be because he wants to play or he wants food or he wants to go out. It goes on and on. My wife puts up with the barking and actually seems to like that he, quote, converses with her. I do not like it. <laughs> I think he's demanding and I really would like it to stop. How can we make the barking stop? Bill, great question. Look, I don't like a demanding dog either. I don't. Uh, I don't really like when my demand, my dogs demand stuff at me. and or uh, Yeah, who likes that? Um, your wife, clearly. <laughs> uh, there are some people out there who find it adorable. 
But the reality is that a controlling dog, right? A demanding dog is a controlling dog. And that's not what we want. We don't want our dogs to control us. And that's what's happening with you, right? So, you know, first and foremost, you got to get your wife on board. I'll be honest, because if your wife is not on board getting the barking to stop, the barking is not going to stop. Because the reality is he gets reinforced for it, right? Like, clearly, if he, he a behavior either stays the same or increases, it's being reinforced, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. So if this behavior is staying the same, right? He barks for food, playtime, whatever. Um, it's being reinforced. So it's very simple. You got to stop reinforcing it, right? You have to stop strengthening this behavior. Now, a little easier said than done because clearly this is an established behavior and your dog's not just going to give up immediately and stop just because you want him to. First thing I will say is if he wants food, let's start with the food one. If you're feeding your dog at the same time every day, stop, <laughs> okay? If you feed him at 5 p.m. every single day and he comes and barks at you at 4.45, that's part of the reason why. A little too on the money uh, for feeding time and he gets used to that and then he expects it, right? He also has learned clearly that barking gets him what he wants. So, uh, so that's the first thing is I would change up your feeding time. Okay, next thing is when he wants to go out, let's talk about that one. If your dog can physically hold it, then it's going to be rare that he truly needs to go out. You know what I mean? Like if you get your dog outside in a reasonable amount of increments and a reasonable amount of times per throughout the day, then your dog doesn't really need to go. You know what I mean? Like there's very few times my dogs need to go. And one of them I'll, I'll give you is when my, um, when we go swimming and a lot of times they'll they'll drink a little too much water, right? They'll overdrink from swimming. And sometimes it's not even on purpose. They're just fetching tennis ball and they end up swallowing a lot of water. And Riker will come over to me. It's the only time he will do this. He will come over and give us a little wine. He'll look at you and go, huh? like, dude, I got to pee. <laughs> and then we'll take him out and he'll pee for a minute straight. I usually try to take him out after swim time. Uh, so, we, you know, because I know he's got to go. But there are other times I, I either forget or it's been maybe a little longer than I realized. And he'll come let me know. That's one thing, right? But if your dog is literally coming over going woof and he wants to go out and he goes out and he's just sniffing around and having a jolly old time. Well, clearly he doesn't actually need to go. He's just trying to control everything. So. Oh, excuse me. So <clears throat> what we have to do is you have to, one, like I said, stop reinforcing it. Uh, and two, you got to tell him no. So if he tells you no, you got to say no. If your dog knows a spot command or a go lie down command, that's going to come in handy right now. Tell him, hey, go lie down. No. Once he's relaxed and he gives up and he stops demanding and he ignores, that's when I'll take him out. So we need to start getting him to understand relaxing gets you stuff, not demanding. Playtime, same thing. If he comes up with a toy and he's barks at you because he wants you to play, tell him, no, go lie down. Once he lies down, then I'll pick up, you know, let him relax for a minute. Then I'll pick up the toy and start playing with him. So we're reinforcing relaxation, not demanding. All right. Uh, I kind of hope that, I, you know, I hope that helps you out. But like I said, the most important thing you have to start with, Bill, is getting your wife on board. Because if she keeps reinforcing this behavior, you're just going to be fighting an uphill battle that you'll never win. Next question. This comes from Jen from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Jen says, every time my mother-in-law comes over, she riles up my dog where he gets anxious, starts whining and pacing and going absolutely crazy. This is the only time he acts like this. It's the only person he does this with. What is a nice way to tell her to stop? 
Jen, if I knew a nice way to tell my mother-in-law stuff, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be sitting on a gold mine. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's everybody, right? Like it's your mother-in-law. You don't want to, you know, maybe this is a time to ask your husband, right? Uh, to say, Hey, can you talk to your mom for me? I don't want to do it. <laughs> right? Like my wife might not want to uh, say something to my mom or vice versa. Right? Um, it's, it's his parent. Let him deal with it. That's how I see it. Um, no, you know, look, it is a mother-in-law. It is a mother-in-law. So you got to tiptoe, be careful. But at the end of the day, Jen, it's your dog. It's your dog. It's not your mother-in-law's dog. And if it's a behavior you don't like seeing in your dog, you have to tell her. You know, you just, you have to, you got to say, Hey, you know, look, I, maybe, maybe blame me, right? Say, Hey, look, I've been doing some research about with my dog and training and I've been listening to this podcast and, um, you know, it's, it, it, from everything I've read and it's making my dog anxious. Can we maybe not make my dog anxious? Like, eh. you know, try to find a nice way uh, to go about it. But you can use me as an excuse, please, by all means. Um, use me as an excuse of why you need to get this to stop. Because I agree. Look, I agree with you, Jen. I don't want your dog to be anxious. I don't want him to whine and pace and go nut. Like, that's 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 a little much, right? That's that's too much. It's one thing to be excited. It's another thing to be overexcited, right? Um, so, <laughs> I, I can't, I, I wish I could tell you exactly what to say to your mother-in-law, but that might get me in trouble. So, <laughs> uh, so look, my suggestion is try to go through your spouse, your husband, um, see if they can't talk to them. Maybe talk to the mother-in-law since it's their mom. Um, and just try to be nice about it, you know, which is very tough sometimes with your mother-in-law. Just try to be nice about it, Jen. Okay. <laughs> Don't want to start any more problems. But to me, at the end of the day, this is your dog. This is your home. This is your rules. Let that empower you to do something about it. All right. Uh, good luck. And uh, I, hey, I, I hope your mother-in-law listens. <laughs> That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you are going to want to check them out. If you love what you're hearing, give me that five-star rating or leave me a great review. I would really appreciate it. You can find me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast, YouTube at Speak a Dogcast, and become a supporter of the show today at patreon.com slash Speak a Dogcast. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporters, Gula Wright and Jill Norenberg, and my dog friend, Maureen Krasen. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Oh,